The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate joy with my guest, Cindy Dale. Cindy is an intuitive healer, um, just an intuitive, an author, an internationally known speaker and author, author of 27 books, in fact, on energy medicine, intuition and spirituality, everything right up my alley. And today we're going to talk about her work, which takes us from fear and into joy. So coming out of that fear and recognizing it for what it is. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, it's just a joy. It is a joy. And we spoke briefly before we started, like, what are we going to radiate? And immediately was like, let's do that joy that brings the deep meeting of self feeling inside. So uh, it makes me happy. Yes, absolutely. And the joy, I mean, we talked about the joy. This is not the kind of woo, 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 kind of giddy joy. It's not. That's it, That feels fleeting somehow. I think it is. That sense of bliss and ecstaticness. I mean, when I look back how often I get that, maybe once a week, and it's typically when I take my magnesium at night, which makes me kind of kooky, <laughs> to be honest. So it's somewhat artificially induced. <laughs> so I want the stuff that burns bright and low, even if I'm feeling sad or angry or scared or some other emotion. I want that permanent sense of peaceful joy inside of me. That peace, it is a deep, deep sense of it. Um, and looking at your website, you do, oh my gosh, so much. And your books are amazing. There's the Subtle Body Practice Manual, the Book of Chakra Healing, sorry, the Complete Book of Chakra Healing, the Journey After Life, uh, Attracting Your Perfect Body Through the Chakras, so much 
of the type of thing that I just absolutely love. How long have you been in this and doing this and writing about it? I think it's almost 30 years, to be honest. And I saw, I didn't know they were called chakras, but I saw energies and colors and fields when I was a kid. Talked to spirits, talked to ghosts, but I didn't know that what I was seeing was later to be called energy. I thought it was just odd and sort of neat, like rainbows. And that those energies were organized in chakras and auric fields. So some people call me sort of a chakra queen. It wasn't my life goal <laughs> to grow up and write all these books about chakras, but it's it's the great frontier. Even though we've known about chakras for thousands of years, in terms of our ways of applying the chakra data and knowledge, I think we're just in the beginning. We're at the cusp. So we've been thinking about the the physical body lately. That's been coming to the forefront. But you know, the, as you said, the, the this chakra system energy has been around thousands and thousands of years. So maybe we're starting to become more aware of that. Maybe we're learning how important it is to understand energy, physical energy, subtle energy, and the systems of subtle or invisible energy, because those are the lattice works. You know, how subtle energies are organizing determines what shows up in physical reality. So it, it's sort of like creative genius and inspiration. If you think about whatever's been invented, it started with an idea, which is invisible. And I think our illnesses, our challenges, our reactions to the virus probably start the same way in our ideas, with our feelings, with our, our, our senses of things, rather than what's actually concrete or tangible. Oh, I think that's, that, that's beautiful. And that's a, an excellent, succinct way to put it. I've always, you know, we, we know that our thoughts create a reality. Thoughts become things. I'm part of unity. I belong to a unity church and we teach that thoughts are things, but, but they're invisible, right? But we see them manifest. So exactly. They're invisible. And, and yet they can start in the physical. One of my most recent books is energy healing for trauma, stress, and chronic illness. And it's all about trauma, which is everything that we don't know how to cope with, which is stress that's stuck in the body. But in that book, and when I'm working with clients, I still concentrate on the biology because feelings, though they're invisible and they're effects, you know, rather than kind of what initiates something, they still impact us because of our chemistry, because of our food, what we're eating, our digestion, and again, our ideas about things decide how our bodies are going to produce feelings and which feelings. So I'm personally fascinated by how what we know in science interacts with and connects with what we know in the energy world uh, because they're, it's one and the same. And if we could just put them together, like, you know how two pages in a book go into the binding, we need to bring them into the same binding. I love the way that you put that. And that I call it the sweet spot where the science and the energy meet up. That yes. sweet spot is the Venn diagram where uh, they meet in the middle. Um, and we're, I think we're, I think this is a, it's not a new thing, but I think this is really coming to the forefront now 
about how this overlap happens and how we can measure it and how we can see and how it's actually out in the open. It is in the open. And I think people are desperate enough <laughs> that, well, first of all, viruses are invisible unless you look under a microscope, right? right? So people are scared of what's invisible. And it's interesting that science doesn't even know if a virus is alive or not. They're sort of these quasi ghost particles. They, they go, we don't know if they're alive, if they're not. So if you think of it, even though we can measure them somewhat, they're also invisible. So I think people maybe instinctively are looking into the world of the invisible to deal with this thing that can grab them when they're out in the open without them even knowing it, sort of the boogeyman under the bed. But the, the one of the upsides is people are willing to look at, how are my thoughts impacting me? And what's happening with my energy boundaries? Or is there a way to use magic? And it's not magic. Is there a way to use different sorts of breathing techniques or meditation or this or that to be less vulnerable? So I think the invisibility of COVID is sort of requesting that we work with the invisible too. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because I mean, we don't, we don't see um, the virus. We don't see, we don't see viruses. We don't see that, which makes us ill, but we do see the effects of it. Um, and I do think that all of this invisible thing, this energy, the thoughts, uh, manifestation, et cetera, there's kind of an awakening going on right now of people. I know it's been exciting and yeah. it's been here before. I don't know if you've studied, but I love the research of Dr. Royal Reif. He lived decades ago. And have you heard of him? Have you studied some I of his have work? Not. Oh, I have to tell you about him. Okay. Please. Yeah. I'm making a note of this now. Oh yeah. You'll want to look him up. Everybody will. So he invented a microscope, the Reif microscope. I have seen one of the two microscopes that still exist, and I've seen his research books, which are about this big, several of them. So what he did is he put microbes in the, you know, kind of the bottom of the microscope. Like, I can't remember what it's called, the glass, you know, holder <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and whatever. And then he used ultraviolet light so he could perceive a microbe with ultraviolet light. And then he had a number of lenses he stacked and he, he set them in different refractions. So, you know, different, different angles. And he sent different colors of light through these different angled lenses. And just doing that, he could change a lethal bacteria into a non-lethal bacteria mm. and a non-lethal bacteria into a lethal bacteria. He could also, though, change certain types of viruses into certain types of bacteria, into certain types of fungi, etc. So he developed this whole different theory that hopefully will impact science at some point that that sometimes what really counts is the environment that something is in what kind of light hits it how we're shifting the light or the sound around it and so that's one of the pieces of science that i'm hoping while we're willing to look while we're willing to meditate while we're willing to use sound and light uh, meditative techniques. While we're learning to work with chakras, maybe we can go into some of this older science that was very aligned and 
maybe we could actually turn a virus like SARS-CoV-2 into a non-lethal virus or into a bacteria that we could wipe out. Or, you know, it's conjecture, but it's not if, if we look at some of the research that's already there. Well, that is fascinating. And I can't even fathom the, the possibilities and the, the meaning of all of that. That's incredible. So I'm hoping somebody is working on that. And this is uh, Dr. Royal Rife, R-I-F-E. Is that? R-I-F-E. Mm-hmm. And that is a, of the Rife machine? I've heard of that. Yes, that's what that is. The well, Rife people machine. have invented a Rife machine based on his microscope and what he was doing. Based yeah. on his work. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've meditated with one. It's, it's quite interesting, the, the possibilities. Well, I want to shift focus just a little bit um, about your work around fear, um, finding and following healthy fear and the benefits of healthy fear. How can fear be healthy? Well, I think any feeling, if it's pure, <laughs> if it comes from an instinctive body reaction, is giving us a message. We only get in trouble if we don't listen to it. <laughs> or we don't know what to do with it, or if it's not our fear, we can talk about unhealthy fear in a while. So every feeling gives us some sort of presenting message. Like anger says, you need a boundary. Like we're, we're missing a boundary here. Disgust is a really primal feeling. And it says, "Ugh, this is not good for me, or this person's not good for me. Sadness says, we're not feeling love. We need to work a little harder for love. Joy says, I want more of the same. Fear says something's not safe. I'm not in a safe place or that person's not safe or my son is not safe or your daughter's not safe or whatever it might be. And so when we get an instinctive fear, we need to be able to pause or sometimes we just react. But, but if we want to know what's not scary, you know, what's not safe, we want to be able to stop and say, what do I need to do? Do I move forward, backward, or to the side? And the fear should disappear once we take the action. If it doesn't disappear, it's more than uh, a, a feeling of insecurity about a present situation. And then we have to dig deeper. But I always tell people, don't be ashamed if you're scared of somebody or something. Like I've gone to therapy for decades to learn that some people are scary to me. <laughs> and so I don't need to sit next to them. I don't, I don't need to get to know a person who feels frightening to myself. So we need to, we need to pay attention to the healthy message of a fear. Oh, then that's that's a good point. You know, and, and emotion is just here to teach us or, or show us what we need to look at, what beliefs, what thoughts might need some correcting. And, you know, like you said, we have a choice whether we're going to change that thought, change that belief or not. Right? Or not. Exactly. And sometimes, like you're inferring, we can be scared of something because we do think it's unsafe it doesn't really mean it's out to get us. I mean, that that dog that's smiling at us, <laughs> right, wagging its tail, we may become scared because we don't feel safe. It doesn't mean we really aren't safe. I mean, as long as you have a treat, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you can get away from it. 
Right. As long as you can get away from it or whatever. Uh, and so it's incumbent on us if we think our fears are too big or they're controlling us or there's one that pops up all the time and no matter what we do, it doesn't alleviate. Then it's on us to figure out where that's coming from. And like we're talking about, what's the belief? What's the, I like to call beliefs opinions, actually. Mm. I think they're just opinions. What opinion do we hold that's making us feel fear when we don't really need to feel fear? Right. And, and fears are there to keep us safe. They are. That's their purpose. Yes. And it's, and they also, like all emotions, they help us be logical. Uh, I think it was decades ago, uh, there was a brain surgeon who observed that his patient, when he went after surgery, he couldn't connect to the emotional parts of his brain. He couldn't make rational decisions. Like he wasn't logical. He didn't put his pants on before he, you know, tried to put his, his, I'm making this up, but his wallet in his pocket of his pants, right? He couldn't be rational. So there's nothing wrong with feelings as much as they get this big, oh, there's those women with the feelings or, oh, don't cry if you're a boy or whatever we're saying, they really actually help us make decisions too. That's a really good point. I'm right, because they, they do apply that logic that this is going to happen if this happens or this exactly. has to happen first and then this has to happen. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding now is that so many are pointing what I call fear fingers. Like, you're in fear. No, you're in fear. You wear a mask because you're in fear. No, you don't wear a mask because you're in fear. <laughs> what are you afraid of a virus? No, what are you afraid of a mask? Right, right. Right, I'll be pointing these fear fingers. Right, and, everyone is telling oh, you that you're you're in fear, and they're using it as a judgment. Isn't that yes. crazy? Yes. I know. I got judged because there was a graduation party with a bunch of people I didn't know. I sent a present, and I was like, "They're not going to wear masks because their belief system says, you know, God will protect us." So you know, if, if you're in fear, then you deserve to get it. And that's on you. And I was like, that's their belief system. Maybe it does or doesn't work for them. But you know what? I don't want to catch the virus for many of them because I just don't. So I'm not going. And they were like, well, I I thought you believed in, you know, something bigger. I said, I do. And I also believe there's a virus. (laughs) Right. But you're right. We're, we're like warring and sparring about who's most scared as if it's somehow embarrassing to be scared. What if people just stopped and owned their own fear? What if they just said, you know, I am scared that if I do this, I'm going to get it. So I'm going to take action appropriate to me. Right? Absolutely. And there is nothing wrong with that. Right? No. Uh, I think it's where we start to infringe on other people's rights and other people's beliefs. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, and it was interesting. Late February, I was traveling in February into March a lot with my college-age baseball pitcher. We went everywhere that there was COVID, though nobody knew there was COVID. (laughs) So I think the entire team has probably had it, all the coaches. I came home from our fifth trip 
from Colorado that Friday night of the weekend. Gabe had called me up and he said, mom, I really feel sick. I'm going to throw up, blah, blah, blah. We didn't, we weren't thinking about COVID. I brought him Gatorade and, and ginger ale and he pitched great. And then everybody was pretty much sick Monday and Tuesday. But you know what? We didn't know what the symptoms of COVID were. I was back at home by then. And so we weren't really scared that we had COVID. We, everybody was just sick. So I, I knew something was bizarre about how I felt because it didn't feel normal. I'm like, this is not your garden variety flu. This is not a cold. This is just bizarre. And I don't want it. So I used energy techniques. I got lots of sleep the next night. I made up my own way of dealing with it. I, you know, put four blankets on and said, I'm going to sweat it out. So I don't even know if I had a fever because I put four blankets on myself and I was better the next day. I was still tired, but I was better. I was good actually to go. So I think, I think the fact none of us knew we had it, we didn't get as sick as maybe we could have. Though I believe in testing. <laughs> and oh, I believe yes. I'm a big believer in testing for antibodies, for testing for the virus, for getting the right treatment as soon as you can. I think though, because I didn't have the fear, I didn't color myself with it. So I didn't go into the panic that could have made me sicker either. That could have very well made you sicker. I'm, and I'm with you. I'm all for testing and isolation. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. No. When my son came back to went back to school, his uh, teammates until they got sick locked him in his room and called him COVID kid, and said, "You're not leaving the room." <laughs> so, you know, you have to do the right thing because we have bodies, and we can carry this and spread it. So it, we have this tap dance. Like, when do we let the fear guide us, and when does it go? overboard and actually instead of increasing wellness inhibit our immune system that's sort of the dance i think we have to walk this is a very good point so how do we know when the fear has gotten so much that it is keeping us from being healthy and living in wholeness i know for me and i can say this is true of many of my clients and friends too when I take appropriate action and the fear doesn't reduce, then it's not a healthy fear. Then it might not even be about what I think it's about. It might be a trigger of an old trauma. It could be other people's fears and I'm absorbing them and I'm feeling like this manic panic. If it's too big, it's too big. Right. And right. another source of fear are our ancestors also. I mean, you know this one. We have 14, at least, 14 generations of our ancestors' memories in our chemistry. Mm -hmm. And you trigger those. You know, when all the COVID shutdown started, for instance, I was doing pretty good. I'd already been sick, this and that. And all of a sudden, everybody's buying toilet paper. I freaked out. I was manic. I watched myself going, Cindy, you already have a lot of toilet paper. You already have, you are fine. Why are you going from store to store buying two packs here and two packs here? I'm like, it was obviously not a logical fear because I took action and no amount of toilet paper stopped my fear. So I sat down and I immediately upon ruminating 
went into my grandparents who went through the depression when there wasn't anything. And I was like, you know, I'm triggering their fear, their panic, which was true for that day. Buy as much as you can because it could forever disappear. But that wasn't true in my day. So I knew right away, I was like, all four ancestors, grandmas and grandpas were like, you know, we've been through this, listen to us. Not literally, but chemically. And I had to calm myself down figuring that out. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I totally, I totally am 100% with you. And I think that when we get that crippling manic panic, and I love the way you put that, that manic panic, we have to ask, well, what is the fear really about? Is it really about toilet paper or is it really about scarcity? It's scarcity. <laughs> exactly. Right. You can use wash racks. <laughs> you can use leaves, for goodness yes. sake. You used to for centuries use leaves. <laughs> so what is it really about? And so this uh, fear of the virus. Uh, so the people who are overly afraid, and you know, we should be afraid of being sick. This is a dangerous illness and it can kill people. So there is a healthy yes. dose of fear in that. But when and it does. And it does kill people, especially with certain conditions, pre-existing conditions. So we want to be scared for them. I mean, my mother's already passed. But I know I would have been very protective of her. Like, mom, I'm bringing you masks. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, if I was been able to see her. So that's a healthy sort of a fear. But as time goes on, most many of us have had it whether we know it or not. The virus is mutated. It's a lot less virulent. We do know it's about viral load. So if you don't get exposed too long to too much, you're probably okay. But if our fear is still off the top of the roof and we're doing precautions, then we do have to ask, why is it so big? Because, well, first of all, we're also control freaks, right? <laughs> So thank you for owning that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a big control freak. I work on it in therapy all the time. I prefer control enthusiast. I like that. That sounds like a title of a book. (laughs) 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 I'm a control enthusiast. I write lists. I make plans. I think God should obey my plans, not the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But you know what? We really do have to make peace with lack of control, like the serenity prayer, you know, grant me the serenity, you know, to know what I can't control, what I'm in charge of, what I'm not, and just have the wisdom and let it go. So it's a great opportunity, this whole SARS-CoV-2 thing and anything in life, really, to just let go of what we can't manage and you do your best and that has to be good enough. It does. And, and as far as control goes, you know, those who say, well, the government's not going to control me, make me wear a mask. Then the next they're telling me to go in a cattle car, they're branding me with tattoos. Um, so we have to look at the basis of that fear. And that I- would- Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because historically, there have been many, many times in any of our ancestry where we've been herded, we've been hurt, we have been 
controlled. We're all waiting for the you know, the um, chip that's going to get planted underneath us that's going to run our brain or this or that or the other thing. But that, then again, we have to pull back and say we live in a social universe. And, and actually, it, as far as America goes, I, I've studied a bit of history. The, the word that, the phrase actually, that was one of them behind the constitution is social compact. We have a social compact. And John Locke, one of the idearizers, if you would, of the constitution says, you have a right to freedom as long as you're not hurting yourself or somebody else. So there's a measurement we could use more rationally. Is it hurting somebody else if we don't wear a mask? It could be. Yes. It's just like we could hurt somebody else if we're going 100 miles an hour down a 30 per mile hour street. So I I do intuitive work for a living. I work with energy. I work with the invisible. But I don't think we have to check our brain out <laughs> either. I mean, it's in here. Let's use our brains and common sense and do a little research at some of these ideas. And we might be able to find a meeting ground where we can say, no one's controlling me. This is about helping self and others. That's how I look at it. I do too. I look, I look at it the same way, that if I can keep someone else from becoming ill with a potentially deadly virus, then I will do that. Exactly. And nobody's making me take precautions. I want to take precautions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it has nothing to do with my... Control is just control of myself. So. Exactly, it's on. Uh, it's self-responsible, is what it is. Oh yes, it of course it is, and I would hope that anyone around me around me would take the same type of precautions. Right. Well, we have to in Minnesota. <laughs> oh. We have to in public. It's a law now. Well, it's a temporary law, but you know, it does bring up the point about fear that. When we started to have to wear masks, I was I went into a holiday station. There was a man right behind me. He wasn't wearing a mask. He was like breathing down my neck. And I had to use my intuition. I went, do I say something or not? And I'm like, this is a scary dude. This guy could haul off and hit me. I'm not saying anything. I'm just paying and getting out of here. So Later, I could have gone, oh, Cindy, you were such a coward, or your fear was smart, Cindy. It preserved you in these cases. So we have to use our intuition when we get these signals also. That's a very good point. And we are all, to a person, intuitive enough to recognize that voice inside, whether we pay attention to it. Right. <laughs> it's there. And it's, it could be an image in your head. It could be a billboard that you see three times in a row that's telling you something. It can be the voice. It can be a feeling. I One day I overheard, and I wasn't spying or eavesdropping. I overheard the same sentence in three different conversations in three different coffee shops because I had to bring my friend to one and my son to one and this and that. And I was like, Okay, that's a message for you, Cindy. You better pay attention to it. Yeah, think. <laughs> yeah, think. <laughs> that's what I call the rule of three. Happens once, it's a fluke, but there's yeah. no flukes. Happens yeah. twice, it's a coincidence, but it's there's no coincidences. Happens three times, do it. Pay yes. attention. Right? Yes. Yes. 
So um, we've been talking quite a bit about fear, and now I want to switch to talk about the dangers of unhealthy fear. And you break down two main causes of unhealthy fear. Yeah, and I think the ancestry is one. I think when we trigger fear that's just in our epigenome, that's what it's called, in our chemistry, it's like we're run by the past, but we're not in the past. And and I really do believe a lot of our fears, I know this is true of me, uh, not, the, not the little ones that come and go, but the big heavy duty, big paranoid fears. Those are my, that's from my old trauma. Those are unresolved issues. That's stuff that was scary. And I held on to and didn't process the stress, or I've never felt the feelings or put together the beliefs that I created, or I was taught out of that situation, especially our own old trauma, we need to unwind that because it's controlling more than our reactions to the virus or our reactions to a dog or whatever it might be that triggers or heights or this or that. It's, it's really controlling our lives and our independence. That's, that is true. And I do want to say a word about trauma. We all have trauma, and for each person, their trauma is their own. So, for example, one person, their trauma is a dog surprised them and barked at them when they were five years old. Right. And that is a trauma that they hold on to. Another person, they were not invited to their friend's birthday party when they were five years old, and that is trauma. But both traumas, um, neither one of them resulted in a physical injury, but they're both traumatic, and they're both things that we can hold on to. So... I always say that a person's trauma is their trauma. And for another person, it can be their trauma is that they were beaten by their mother's boyfriend. Exactly. And I like that you're bringing that up. And this might be why I would guess you are, because sometimes it's easy to judge how somebody else is reacting. And to go, because that's not scary to me. Why is that scary to them? It's because you're not them. (laughs) Right? I figured that out maybe in high school, maybe maybe it was more like sixth grade. I remember a girlfriend of mine, and we were all Lutherans. It, where I grew up, we were all Lutherans. She was the Catholic. You know, and it, it, you know, kids are just like their parents. You know, it was like she's the different one. And she came from this very wealthy family. She had everything. I just thought, you know, she goes to this cool church, everybody, you know, she's got great clothes. And then she told me one time she was scared of something. And I looked at her in fifth grade and said, I don't know why you're scared of anything. You have everything and you get to be Catholic. Cause I thought of Catholic as just this super race of some sort. And she started crying. Cause she said, how do you know What's scary to me? You're supposed to just care about the fact this is scary to me. I know. And it took me a year or two to think about that, to really to really go. We know our own experiences. Now, we know our ancestors' experiences. We tend to absorb our parents' experiences. We can absorb other people's feelings and thoughts as well. But we need to be gentle with ourselves when it's a trauma, because otherwise, that hidden away traumatized self isn't going to come up for the healing. They're not going to show their head unless we're sweet to them. Did you know that Radiate Wellness has a subscription-based premium content Facebook group? Think of it like the premium version of this free podcast. 
In this premium Facebook group, you can find great content like replays of online classes, meditations on angels, chakras, mindfulness, and more, guest speakers, mini classes, polls, plus you'll be the first to know of guests that we have scheduled for the podcast and can submit questions for them. You get all of this great content for one low monthly price, and the first month is half off. You can subscribe by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash shop. Click the subscriptions button and you're in. Also, while I have your attention, wherever you're listening to this free podcast, if you could just do us a couple of favors, please. One is go to hit the subscribe or follow button. Then you'll be notified of all of the episodes we have coming out each week. Also, please rate and review. It sounds really simple, but it helps us to grow our audience when people are looking for great podcasts. And when we grow our audience, we can do bigger and better things and bring you even more great guests. So please do those couple of things, and that will help us grow this audience and this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, absolutely. I mean, trauma just wants to be seen. It wants to be recognized. And, you know, just to kind of build, build on the point is that something that is seemingly untraumatic to someone, to another person, you don't know what was going on in their lives when this happened. For example, the dog barks at them. You don't know if their mom had yelled at them that morning and they were already kind of in a strange place. Right. So we just don't exactly. know. Right. Exactly. Or what gets hooked into a trauma? Well, you do a lot of hypnotherapy. So you must find that. I mean, I'd love to know more about that from you. Like, like you must see layers and layers of things that get all kind of noodled together too. Well, absolutely. There's the past life aspect of it as well. You know, there's the ancestral aspect, you know, we're going back 14 generations, but many past lives. If we've resolved a trauma, if we've finished learning from it, we, we leave it behind and go on to the next life. But if we haven't, if there's something, especially if there's a death coupled with great, huge emotion, unresolved emotion, that's the type of thing that we'll carry forward in terms it, of phobias. Well, I do a lot of work with um, some Chinese people. I teach a class uh, a morning a week and I do clients really early in the morning because it's really late in their night. And one woman had thyroid problems. We tracked it back to a past life, to a trauma where she had been washing clothes. Her baby was in, you know, like a little kerchief in front of her and the baby slid out into the river and drowned. Oh no, I know. I feel like crying right now. And she screamed, she cried. Nothing she did helped her find that baby. Nothing she ever said made it okay. And that horrible emotional trauma and self-blame and loss had stuck in her throat from that past life. And of course she had a mother who was mean to her, was verbally abusive. So, so they get you know, triggered into each other. We worked with the past life trauma. And the next time she called for a session, a few weeks later, her thyroid was fine. Her hair was growing back. All the symptoms of thyroid disorder were disappearing. 
So it wasn't really the this life work that made a difference. It was the past life work because it was such a horrific stress. It stayed locked in her soul to get poured and landed in her body too. Isn't that amazing? That does get stuck until it's resolved, until it's seen, is recognized, and then it's resolved. Um, I had a client who came in with migraines. She had migraines nearly every day, debilitating. Went to a past life where she was a paper boy in, I don't know, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, some big city. And it was a depression. And this was the, uh, this kid was the only breadwinner in the entire family of four. And this kid died when she, he was struck by a car on his bicycle. And when I brought her out, she said, oh, I saw the whole thing. Um, the car hit me and I asked where the car hit and she pointed to her head and said, that's, there was a flash and this car hit me there. I said, well, where do your migraines start? And she pointed the same place in her head and she never had another migraine. But there was so much fear surrounding what is my family going to do? There are no jobs. There's a baby. There's my, my parents don't have, there's nothing for them. What, what is going to happen to them? And so she was able to bring that little boy home, say, you're safe. Everyone's fine. Everybody's okay. They made it. But you can feel while you're talking, I can feel the emotion. I can feel what it would have been like to be that soul to exit before you feel like you've taken care of your family. And, you know, we're so not, we think, Time is just here and now. And, uh, you know, so many cultures do know that there are past lives. They believe in past lives. And even, frankly, in the Bible, when uh, Jesus, I think it was during Pentecost, the people asked him, who are you? Are you Moses returned, like reincarnated? So they obviously believed in reincarnation. Are you Elijah who rose and you've come back having once ascended? So I don't really understand why people don't believe in past lives, except we're not supposed to believe in past lives in some of our Western cultures. But to me, it just makes sense because so many issues don't clear up or so many gifts can't be explained spiritually gifts or brought online unless you look at your history that goes way, way back. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and this is a great point about the Bible is that it doesn't say specifically in those words, past lives, but the evidence is in there. It is. <laughs> it is. In there. It is. <laughs> and I even read, this is getting a little picky, but I did go to divinity school for a while. Uh, everybody quotes Paul, Apostle Paul, saying there's one body, one life. I think he might have been a quantum physicist because if you think of quantum physics, they really are saying you have one life. All your lives are one life. This is all one big experience trying to learn about love because that's what it's all about. I mean, we've got something to contribute about love. We certainly have something to learn about it. And so you can really see everything is just like family systems therapy. Every single life goes together like one big life. And you can track forward and backward and concurrent realities. I think we have parallel realities. So this, this 
mistake we make that time, you know, kind of seals us into one life makes absolutely no sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. No, from a physics level, it doesn't make sense. I mean, energy is infinite and expanding and branches off, time branches off. Um, you know, Dolores Cannon, who pioneered the hypno- one of the hypnosis techniques that I, that I employ, um, she said, yeah, the quantum healing hypnosis technique. She said, the most important life that we're living is the one that we're focused on now because that's what, where we can have an effect. And yes, concurrent lifetimes, this, this is a thing. This happens all the time. It's just a way to continue to learn, to expand, and to grow. Exactly. And I've had several concurrent lifetime experiences. One pops in that I didn't even, I wasn't even my own self in a concurrent experience. Meaning I had this dream, it wasn't a dream, it was lucid, that I was brought into the body of a boy, a teenage boy in sort of a different reality. It was one of these dystopia realities. There were wars, people killing each other, kind of mutants who had powers and he had a power. And he was uh, having to decide if he was going to go kill a bunch of kids or not as a terrorist. I know, isn't that wild? With his powers, with his magic powers. And he was meeting with one of his teachers to talk about this with her. And I was brought into his body to force him to ask a question of the teacher he otherwise wouldn't have asked. Then I was taken into the body of the teacher to answer him in a way that kept him from killing the kids. Isn't that a mind stretch? I don't know what that has to do exactly with what we're talking about, except... except we're so much more than we think we are. And we have so much more impact than we think we have, even if we're in quarantine, even if we're stuck somewhere. We are big. We are universal. We interconnect no matter how you look at it. That is fascinating. That opens up so many possibilities. Um, We all have these weird experiences occasionally where we have some memory that doesn't make sense, some experience that doesn't make, some dream that doesn't make sense. But when we look, you know, when we look at things in terms of possibility, we see that it is vast. And anything, you know, Dolores Cannon even said in her books, you know, if you want your mind to wrap around like a pretzel, just realize that anything that you can imagine, even things you can't imagine, actually do happen. It's just amazing. It's true. Um, It's true. And still we have to live in the here and now also. We do. We have to focus here and now because that's the only place where we can have any type of effect. Right. Um, And I wanted to, to mention too that, you know, we all talk about our life purpose, but going back to your point about how we're this expansive being and that there's only one life. In addition to the one life purpose that we think we have, we have a soul purpose that we explore lifetime after lifetime after lifetime from various ways. So for example, I've got a client who's, ex- who's exploring the theme of, and the purpose of like human trafficking and s- sex slavery, right? So one lifetime, she explored that from being a child bride in India. Another time she explored that from the life, from a lifetime of being um, 
the a person who bought a child bride. And then in this lifetime, she wants to become um, someone who uses her intuitive powers to find children who have been kidnapped and put into these situations. So exploring the same theme from all these different vantage points. And do you find that as well? I do. And it's like different facets on the diamond that how can we better understand how to heal abuse, but to maybe, I hate even saying this, but be an abuser. You know, one of my, I have two vivid lives in which I was a man. And I believe that I'm typically a healer, you know, somebody who brings through information, et cetera. I love data. I love information. I come at it different ways. All right. And one time I was a man, I was a Native American shaman and I was a very kind, good man. I would bring information from the stars. I helped people, big hearted. The other time I was a man, and I'm sure I've been men other times, I was the meanest Chinese warlord that there probably ever was. I had healing powers. I could bring through data, but I misused all of it. I hurt people. I manipulated people. I stole from them. I was nasty. I mean, I had so much power and so much money, and I was just the meanest, baddest guy. I've told my Chinese students is probably why I'm teaching them, because I have a lot of karma to make up for. Uh, but really, but I remember being like that, and that informs me today about my current decisions. Like, Cindy, are you going to take this new job or work with this person because they're powerful or because you want to help them? And there's a couple times I could have worked with so-called powerful people. And I was like, that, that that's not mine to do. This is not my path. You you know, it, it doesn't mean it's wrong to work with somebody who's famous or whatever, but I was like, no, you're coming from the wrong place around this. And you've done that before. <laughs> so it's informing us, these experiences, hopefully we're gathering wisdom and ethics as we go. I like that gathering wisdom and ethics. We have the, we always have the opportunity to learn or not learn to gather more wisdom more ethics or not, what, what choice do we make, right? right. There's no judgment around it either, is there? No. We regain the wisdom or not. Right. Well, nobody stopped me when I was the Chinese warlord. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, somewhere along the line, I figured out it didn't feel good to be a bad person. And I hope, I hope that's true of people who need that lesson still, who are alive today. Maybe they too can figure out, it really doesn't feel good to be mean to people. It doesn't feel good to hurt people. It doesn't feel good or right. But we don't have to let ourselves know that either. We don't have to. We have the choice. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay, so we talked about, you know, triggering old fears from ancestors, past lives, even concurrent lives. You know, those would be, I don't know, old fears once they're, once we have them, process them, they become old. But what about absorbing other people's fears? Ah, oh, so many of us do that. 
<laughs> I know. Well, I can tell we're both empaths because we felt, you know, the experiences of the two clients we talked about. We're both going, oh, so if you're there with us, you two are a high empath and you are probably absorbing other people's issues. Now, that's not wrong to know what other people are going through. That's a very beautiful gift. And we're all wired for sound. We're wired to be empathic. Some people's chemistry doesn't work quite right. And some people have had traumatizing experiences that they don't let themselves be empathic or compassionate. I understand that. Uh, However, most of us really are in our bodies able to feel any number of different empathic sets of information. Maybe other people's physical issues to the point that we become ill because they're ill. That happens. Their feelings, that one's normal that we're, you know, you get you get one person crying in a group and pretty soon 10 people are crying in a group. Honestly, there's mental empathy where you just kind of know what the other person knows or if they're really thinking negatively instead of the positive they're sounding like. Some of us are relational empaths. We know what's happening in the areas of love or we know what kind of healing people need. There's spiritual empathy where we can sense spirits or what's happening with somebody's, their spirit or their consciousness. So there's so many types of empathy and taking on people's feelings is really just one type, but there's so much Fear in the world, a lot of us are doing that right now. There is. There's so much, and we see it in the news. We see it in the community. People are fearful because of COVID, of course, and, you know, rightfully so. There are people getting very, very ill and people who are dying, even people we know. Um, in the news with the uh, the things going on, well, with hurricanes, you know, there are hurricanes. And protests and, yeah. yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and these are very real things that are happening. And, you know, we empaths, we can feel how the injustices that are happening and the fears that are going on, right? These are, we do absorb these. So um, how, how would you recommend to go about releasing these other people's fears? Well, I think just knowing that if a feeling or an issue or even an illness seems too strong, it may not all be yours. So I start, even when I'm working with clients, one of the first things, if something's big that's going on, I first say, how much of this is yours and how much of it is somebody else's? So I ask them or I check in. It's very easy to give permission to release. Some people use an image of white water coming down through them, taking out what's not theirs, returning it to be recycled in the universe. I like gold. Gold is a very strong energy. I think there's a chakra over the head, this gold, that have our key codes. So I like to bring gold down through that way over the head chakra to come in because then as our, you know, others issues are being washed out, we're supplanting them. We're exchanging them with our own energies, our own healing codes, our own, you know, sort of what's special about ourselves. So it's important if you let go of something to fill the empty space too, otherwise something else is just going to come back in. And if you do constantly pick up what's not yours, you may want to figure out why. It's called codependency, (laughs) right? It's energetic codependency. And you know what? We're trained into it. 
typically in our family, it's a coping mechanism. If I take on dad's anger, maybe he'll be less angry. Then we're angry all the time. And it's sort of like, or we're sensitive to others' anger or we act out their anger. And we never really stop dad from being angry. So we want to rethink that subconscious idea because it never worked then and it's not working now. So if you can pinpoint the idea you're trying to fulfill or the need you're trying to meet, you can often let the whole over-absorbing pattern go too. Oh, that's a very, very good point. Letting that whole pattern go. Um, Sometimes we just need to be aware of that pattern and where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Both my boys, they're adult men now, but they are high empaths. I remember one time with my oldest, I was on the phone with the client who was sick to her stomach. I felt sick to my stomach and my son who was eight at that time went into the bathroom and threw up. I'm like, we just, (laughs) we just went right like that. Right on down. Yep. (laughs) We got that one. I've had to say to both my boys, Don't do my feelings for me. I can take care of them. Mom, what are you feeling? Why are you sad? I'm sad. It's okay. You don't have to take it. I mean, we can help each other if we know our tendencies too. Yeah, I think so too. And then with children, I have no qualms. And in fact, I often work with parents who have very highly empathic, highly sensitive children. Like, let the children know that you have feelings, they need to have a model for how to deal with feelings. Mom is feeling sad right now and it's okay. I I need to finish feeling sad first and then I'll stop feeling sad, right? We need to know that. Yes, and that it's real and it's okay and they can do the same thing. And I, when my boys and I still like going to the movies, well, there aren't any right now, but we're Marvel fans. Even on Christmas Eve, we went to the Marvel movie. Oh, (laughs) yes, Christmas movies. Yes, yes. And they brought, they bring Kleenex because they're like, mom's going to cry. I mean, (laughs) even in a comedy, mom's going to (laughs) cry. Exactly. They roll their eyes. They go, it's okay, mom. <laughs> they know you so well. Yeah. And I think we all know each other really well. And so, like you said, model emotions, model how to appropriately have your emotions, use them. When you're angry, we don't throw things, right? You can have your anger. You deal with it. You can deal with it kindly. You can set a boundary. You don't need to hurt anybody. I mean, all of it's modeling if you're a parent, but but we're modeling for other people, even if they're friends or clients or coworkers too. No, absolutely. You know, there's a phrase that I just love that we're all walking each other home. Oh. And isn't that sweet? And it's all, mo- it's all modeling. It's all showing each other appropriate ways of being, um, giving each other opportunities to help, opportunities to hold us up, right? All of it is... I know. And we can be imperfect. I'm just laughing because I travel a lot for baseball and I remember being so darn tired one night. I got in at midnight. I'd driven in a snowstorm to get where I needed to go. I think it was Greeley, Colorado. 
Right. So, so I bought um, potato chips and some sort of not healthy Coca-Cola product, right? It didn't have caffeine. And I posted, I said, I am so tired. There's no food here. I'm going to eat this and feel good about it. I probably had 10, 20 people going, why are you eating that junk food? <laughs> like, look, I do eat vegetables. <laughs> but I'm going to eat potato chips if there's only potato chips. So we can be people. We can be imperfect on this walk too. <laughs> we can. We can yes. give ourselves grace. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I like to say it's a spectrum. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, And then there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and that was making space for change. Once you've dealt with your fears, learning how to connect with the center of your heart chakra to gain power and insight about the butterfly self waiting to emerge. I love this butterfly self. What is that? I know, and I know it's an overused analogy, but it's so important because when that caterpillar is in the cocoon, when we're in quarantine, when we're going through change, when, we, when we're in the dark night of the soul, when we're dealing with our fears, when we're jobless, when we go through these times, when a caterpillar goes through those times, 95% of its cells break down. They, they co- turn completely to mush. The only cells that remain are the imaginal discs, also called the imaginal cells. Don't you love that word? The imaginal cells. And yeah, those are the one that then take over and they grow, they grow the butterfly. They grow, you know, the new senses, they grow the wings, they enable flying where before there was only crawling. And so I feel like that's what we're all invited to go through is this is the space we need to give ourselves, give our, get our heart big enough, get ourselves quiet enough, get ourselves calm enough, be polite and kind enough to ourselves that whatever needs to be sort of reformed and refashioned inside, maybe it's painful to do that too. It is for the caterpillar. But if we allow that space, those quiet moments, or the times where we just don't do what we used to do and we let ourselves be different, you you know, guess what? We're going to be the butterfly. That's what we're looking to do is be different when we emerge from the opportunity that COVID-19 presents, the opportunity to go back in the world. It's going to be a different world. How are we going to make it or remake it? I love that. The opportunity. My guides have been saying that to me from the beginning that they, they were telling me that you guys are asked to go inside your walls, but you get to go inside. This is an opportunity. And they've told me since um, we started reopening in Kansas City, it was May 16. They said, you guys didn't take your opportunity. You're having to continue to explore it until you take your opportunity. <laughs> I think we're getting the same data, the same guidance, because <laughs> it's, it's just, it's what do you need to do or be or 
different and how, but it's still, how are you going to express more of yourself? How are you going to bring the transcendent, the butterfly self out? And, you know, we've all had to face very challenging issues during these past few months. We've named a few of them, fear, terror, ancestor issues, past life issues, this life traumas, um, inconsistencies, maybe lack of health, maybe question marks around our diet, maybe control issues, hello. I mean, maybe joblessness and scarcity issues. I don't know. There's a whole list of them. They're, they're, if we can survive them and we may need to ask for help in order to do that, let people help us when we need the help. Um, there is this sense of attaching the wings and going forth in a different way. And like you're saying, we may not be done. We, we just, some of us haven't finished. Some of us didn't do enough during the first shutdown and we have to kind of keep focusing on that. And that's okay. We take the time we take too. Right. And then and collectively too. Individually, we may have taken that opportunity and used the opportunity for what it was and grown and changed and developed and emerged. Uh, but then many others in the community have not taken that opportunity. They've stayed mired in fear and negativity, which is fine for them. But, you know, it's just collectively we're, we're pulling together, right? Collectively yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, and asking ourselves what we need to do. What was interesting, one of the things I was led to do during the beginning of COVID was my mother died a year before then. And I was pretty resolved, but I also knew I hadn't finished a few things. I felt some regrets. So I adopted an elderly gentleman to befriend through an organization called Little Friends of the Elderly. And I know, I know, Otis, his name is Otis Hightower. I'm going to say his name. And first we just talked on the phone. And then after a while, I'm in Minnesota, it got nice. I would just drive down to see him. It's 15, 20 minutes away with two chairs, set them six feet apart and we would talk. And, you know, sometimes I would bring food. He used to be a jazz club owner. So he would show me albums of these famous people and I mean, it was lovely. And he, he near, you know, kind of up to about two weeks ago, he said, you're my only friend. I've been here two years and I have no friends. Isn't that sad? I didn't take that as a pressure. I felt like, Cindy, your mother had a lot of friends. This man doesn't. This is a way you need to give in a way you didn't need to, or you didn't do quite the right way at times, you know, with your mother. And I saw him two weeks ago on a Thursday. Uh, last week, I was supposed to bring McDonald's to him. <laughs> and I kept, I kept calling. He never answered, so I didn't drive. I kept calling. Two, three days, I called the social worker, and she told me he had passed the day after I saw him. But what's, what's beautiful is that that was, I think, what I did the best with COVID, with the lockdown, is actually open my heart in a way that, you know, touched another human being and my heart got touched by another human being. And so it's almost the opposite of a lockdown. It was a relationship that developed when we're going inside. And so sometimes what we're led to do might seem different 
than what others are doing. But that was my teaching, was going heart to heart with him. Not a lovely story. I'm sad he's dead. I'm glad I was around. I'm glad I saw him the day before he left, too. Absolutely. And gave him that friendship. Friendship, just pure friendship. You know, that counts more than anything. That just heart to heart. That's another thing I think we're learning during this time. We need connection, even if it's over Zoom. Even if it's with a cat or a dog, we need some sort of, or a guide. You know, it can be a guide. It can be your your version of your higher per, uh, self or higher power. But we need heart to heart too. We absolutely do. And it's it's around us all the time, even if we feel like we're, you know, the, the I, I feel kind of bad for the extroverts among us um, during COVID, right? You know, because I know they were not, they've not been doing well and we're missing that. But we do have this unending stream of, well, just to go back to our theme today, which is joy, which is what is joy, but a high form of love or one version of love, we have it around us all the time. We do. The love is there. Even that really deep-seated joy is there. And we can have fear and joy at the same time, sadness and joy at the same time. We can be cranky and have joy at the same time. I'm good at that one. Like I'll tell friends, I'm a little cranky today, but I'm still okay. I'm still happy. (laughs) You can have all of it. It's not just one or the other. So pick your goodness and hold it no matter what's going on. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, Cindy, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. Um, How can people get in touch with you? How can they find you and find out more about what you do? Just my website. It's cindydale.com. It's spelled funny, C-Y-N-D-I. So cindydale.com. There's a free guided meditation on my site too. You have to like check it out, but it's free. It's a COVID meditation. So if people do want some energetic techniques for working with the actual virus or energetic protection. It's, you know, six, seven minutes long, and I think it's very powerful. So they can just have that too. Oh, that's very kind of you to make that available. Yeah. So that is cindydale.com. All of your 27 books are on there. Um, and you also do your healing work. You have that available online so people can book a session with you. Yep. I do sessions. I do classes. I have a shift network class coming up, you know, really soon. So I love teaching. I think, you know, that's a way to connect with people and we all learn from each other that way too. So there's some great classes too. Oh, that's so wonderful. So lovely. I'm just going to read everything on your website. I I already read yours. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love the Mutual Admiration Society. I know that's that, that's a, the enthusiasm, right? Right, enthusiasm, but also right, respect enthusiasm. We can have all of that. We can have all of that. Yes, please. <laughs> well, Cindy, it's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. My joy. Thank you very much.
Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.